What's going on, boys? It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Yeah, not here. It was like 60 not degrees there? the other day. No. Oh, wow. We had a light snow dusting and putting the Christmas lights on, the cold. I love the time of the year. Oh, 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 oh. No, I typically love it. It's just not not feeling like Christmas yet at all. It, it doesn't feel like Christmas here either in Connecticut. It hasn't snowed in like a year here. It didn't snow at all last winter. Mm. It sucks. I remember my first season on Forge and Fire, we got quite a bit. And then after that, it was less and less. But don't you guys like do stuff inside a house, put the Christmas tree up, decorations, eggnog, with spiked eggnog everywhere? If you drink a lot of eggnog <laughs> that's spiked, it's Christmassy all the time in the house. All right, guys. We say we get this podcast going. Listeners, welcome to Forging the Path. Fire it up. Fire it up. Fire it up. I did uh, did our lights the other day, and I t- I've told Meg year in and year out that if I die early, it's going to be on a ladder putting up Christmas tree or Christmas lights. <laughs> the first year we lived together, I fell off a ladder. The second year we were together, or the first year we moved into this house, I fell off a ladder. It's the bane of my existence, and it will be how I go out. Well, you know what? There was one Christmas. So um, for about 25 years, I think we've had the same Santa come to our house. It started off with when they were kids. Um, I found a friend who was doing it and he said, yeah, we bring the same Santa every year to the house. And I got the guy and I found out they actually go to a Santa college or Santa school or something to be a certified Santa. And every year we had him come to our house. And that was the beauty of it. He'd note kids, they would email him all the things that they did good, mm-hmm. right or wrong, and all these things. And he got to know them. And we'd have a horse, uh, you know, horse carriage come over. He'd come to the house. And then, I mean, when they were young, I used to get on the roof. And that's why it brings me back to the story here is I was on the roof making a lot of noise to make sure that they heard the reindeer <laughs> leave my roof. And one year I almost fell off. I'm like, I'm done. I'm not going to yeah. kill myself doing this. Oh, but you know what? We did a DIY gingerbread house this weekend. That was So fun, did we. You know? we. We built it from scratch, got these gigantic shipping, you know, cardboards from Home Depot, put it up. And uh, yeah, for, normally I just sit back and watch my wife do it, but I had to help her out this time. And it was fun. The magic you can do with duct tape and glue. It's funny. I used to poo-poo it all the time. Um, it, it, it was, my wife loves Christmas and doing all these things. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. Oh, it's so silly. This is ridiculous. What a waste. My-. Finally, I'm like, what am I doing? Number one, I'm squelching her enthusiasm enthusiasm to keep the Christmas spirit going. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than poo-pooing it, be part of it. And when I did it, and it happens all the time. I always say, you know, in the end, when I sit back, I go, "Hun, I love that you did this. Thank yeah. you for doing this because I'm the one who's a party pooper because I can't build anything. Speaking of poo-poo, <laughs> Doug, are you familiar with Elf on the Shelf? Oh, yeah, that little snitch who got who should get stitches. <laughs> he was eyeing my knife the other day. Uh, we just started Elf on the Shelf with my son Nash, and uh, I took it over last night. And I have a feeling Meg's not going to put me in charge anymore. So I took the Elf on the Shelf, and I, I set it up in our guest bathroom. And uh, I took some dried cherries threw him in the toilet, bowl, the toilet bowl, had him sitting up on the bowl. And then I was like, that's not quite good enough. So I went into the fridge and found some blackberry jam and just smeared it all over the toilet and wrote, <laughs> uh, wrote ho, ho, ho in blackberry jam. It's pretty gross. That's a good one. I like that. That's a good one. So what did Nash find it? Yeah, he was a little disturbed. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awful. But he was mad at it. He put he put Elf on the Shelf or told me to put Elf on the Shelf in timeout. Oh, boy. 
we had one where uh, Elf, uh, the Elf actually held Rudolf hostage uh, at, at knife point. I had, I had a, whole <laughs> skit, a whole skit on it on Instagram. Yeah, and then, you know, Santa opens his box and he sends the elves to go rescue uh, Rudolph. And he armed them with a lot of knives. Yeah, good, good Lord, time. buddy. Good time. Wow. Eggnog brings out the imagination and Christmas spirit in all of us. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we've been building stuff. We've been building the gingerbread house. And I'm using duct tape. And I'm using it's great because I didn't have to use any mechanical tools. So all my fingers are here. But the wonders you can do with black tape as a great tool. Duct tape. Right? Black tape. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of tools... Today's guest is somebody who's what you would call a bit of a picker when it comes to blacksmithing tools. Andrew Alexander from Blacksmith Tools and Supplies is going to be joining us right after this break. All right, everyone, we are now joined by Andrew Alexander of Blacksmith Tools and Supply. Andrew, how are you doing? I'm amazing. How are you guys? We're good, good today. Doing great. Thank you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So Andrew, typically we give uh, we give the guests a moment to kind of describe themselves. We obviously know who you are, we know what you do, but we like to hear hear who you think you are in this world. As far as the, uh, I I don't even know what I'm saying right now. <laughs> I went I went and got my fourth cup fourth cup of coffee, and it's you want to restart? Yeah, I think I'm going to need to do that. <laughs> so Andrew, obviously we knew who you are, we know what you do, but tell us who Andrew Alexander is. So I'm uh, a guy that trades in forging equipment uh, in regards to this setting. And um, I buy and sell all kinds of anvils and blacksmithing equipment. And uh, my main thing is I'm a historian of these things. I love the history of forging and I love the, the, the history of people working with their hands. And I enjoy the hunt of going out and finding the tools that uh, help people in their journey as far as forging go. So you... You deal in, in 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 antiques more or less, but in the blacksmithing field, do you blacksmith yourself, or is it just you love the tools? I do some, I do some, but not like uh, the people that I sell this equipment to. Uh, I would say that my the equivalent of like me making something versus a person that is a professional making something is vastly different. Yeah, right. <laughs> the outcome is vastly different. Like my um, spoon may look more like a fork. When I got done with it type of thing, not really, but I love forging, but I love the tools themselves more so than the act of forging. When did this passion start? So when I was a kid, uh, and I say kid, I was like 17 years old. I used to spend the summers with my uh, uncle on his cattle ranch up in Oklahoma, and their hobby was team roping. And having a horse that was like perfectly fit and had perfect shoes and all that kind of stuff was a big deal to these guys. And the very first time that I saw a farrier come and put a pair of shoes on a horse, I was fascinated. I was this kid that grew up in the city on the golf course, like doing city people things, right? Riding bicycles and all that. And here I am, like in my young teens, looking at this guy that takes this glowing orange object out of a forge and is shaping it on an anvil and making it fit perfect to this horse's hoof. And I was just, my jaw came on the end. I was just fascinated that that all of this was going on. And I didn't even really understand what it was at the time, but it was at that moment that I could, you know, trace, trace myself back to where my interest is today because I bought an anvil not long after that and, and started heating and beating and kind of doing things, uh, uh, my style after that. Yeah. But what, what's, what I find interesting about the whole thing is that 
this is something you see that you want to get into, but you're more fascinated with the tools of doing it rather than actually doing that. You yeah. expand a little bit more. Why the tools and not the act of what you were fascinated to begin with? So I think if you progress forward to today's world, where everything is automated and everything is done by machines and everything is done by robots and things of that nature, you kind of forget about where it all started, how it all started. It started with mathematical equations and, and long math, you know, written out, like, how are we going to do this? How are we going to, how are we going to cast this piece? Right. You don't enter it into a CAD or whatever. You would take, start with the mathematical equation and, and using your head and a piece of paper and a pencil and, that is fascinating to me, the, the, the flat belt driven machinery, the tools that built America that got us to where we are today are what I am motivated by in this whole tool kind of gathering, if you will. So did you have any paths that you were on before getting into the, the tool picking, if you will? Like how, what were you doing before you decided to be the tool guy? So I, what I was doing before, I also still do. I have real estate business. And I buy and sell farm and ranch real estate and always have. And that's kind of the bread and butter of the equation, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, but I've never not that like what I, I just told somebody just a minute ago is at lunch with them. They're like, they're fascinated. If you come to my shop, whatever, it's fascinating to see like all the stuff everywhere. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's silly. I have a lot of things and I'm very fortunate. I have a lot of things, but I, I equate this to my golf course, right? This is like my golf course. Well, I'm working, yes, but I'm also playing with all of these things that I'm totally intrigued by and that I love. And, you know, being able to look at patent models and, and, and things of that nature that there's one of. And front, trying to figure out why is it that this person created this patent model and how and what the, you know, the process was. That's what's fascinating to me. Uh, so let's let's backtrack a little bit. I want to go back to the beginning of of your um, of your journey, if you will. So I I read that you were in cul you went to culinary school. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, I'm a classically trained chef as well. Yeah. So was that what was that like? Was that your first kind of uh, and you know job kind of thing? Was working in in, in... no no? I also have a business degree. Uh, <laughs> okay, I have a lot of degrees. Uh, a Renaissance man. So yeah, I have a, a, a bachelor in business administration and uh, went to four-year college and graduated from there. And uh, my dad asked me if I wanted to get a master's degree after that. And the answer to that was a, was a hard no, like a hard no. I hated school with a passion. I still hate school with a passion. I, hate, I hated that whole environment and all that kind of stuff. But I had a grandmother who loved to cook and had a catering company and created meals that just blew my mind it's still to this day i create her recipes and remember all the the foods the taste the smells and all that kind of stuff so i went back to my dad and said hey you know i don't really want to get a master's degree in business per se but what would you think about me getting the equivalent of a master's degree in the culinary world because i love to cook and i love to entertain and i love to be around people and he was like go for it like sweet so that's what led me to the cia was uh you know a quote unquote master's degree opportunity with my father saying, go for it. Wow. So you, you basically, you did that without even like having a huge, you didn't have a desire to become a chef. Like no desire uh, to be a chef. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll tell you why. And I think if you had chefs on here, they'll tell you their lives are working when everyone else is playing. Yeah. They, they like sleep till three in the afternoon and work till three in the morning. And it's, that's not very conducive to a family lifestyle. And my, joy is a family lifestyle. 
I love kids. I have two little boys. I love my wife and we like to go and do when everyone else is going and doing. We want to go eat at the restaurants where the chefs are cooking. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be there welcoming them in the front doors while you're sitting back in the yeah. kitchen. What's fascinating to me about food and being able to cook and understanding the techniques and understanding the joy behind that is you instantaneously automatically have something in common with every single person in the entire world. Okay. Everybody in the world, because everyone has to eat. Everyone has some interest in food on some level. Mm -hmm. Right. Even if it's just the necessity of it. Yeah. Because we can all speak to that. We can all understand each other when it comes to food, but then oh. you decided to go into getting tools so specific tools for blacksmithing not even just blacksmithing that's a big jump from saying i'm going to do something that will feed everyone that we know that you can have a living but this is so specific how did you make that jump so i, I you got to digress back it's not really a jump it's a progressive uh, upwards climb if you will because i've ever since that time when i was spending time with my uncle on his cattle ranch and i bought my first anvil i i accumulated these things along the way and there were times like when I was in, in my undergrad, you know, I was chasing girls more than I was chasing tools. And mm -hmm. then, you know, so that, there's ebbs and flows of that, but it, there's always a steady progression of adding more tools to the collection, finding more things, you know, going on picks, seeing more stuff. Uh, so the tools have always been around in one form of, or fashion. Now, with your collection, do you sell these antique tools yeah. or do you just yeah, yeah. You collect them? I do both. So there's some things like I, I'm sure with anybody, there's things that you don't desire or probably wouldn't sell. But there are things that I do sell all the time. Like and and I think at some point that everything will be sold or it will be my kids that decide what to do with it. Like they mm -hmm. may hate this stuff, like totally hate it. They're 11 and eight now. They've grown up around it. But when they're in their teenage years, they may think it's all shit. Like you have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. It's like. My dad's a financial consultant and I have zero interest in that industry, you know, so it's, you just don't know which way anyone's going to go, but if they want to continue this, this all theirs. Yeah. So I read that you, you have the largest or had the largest anvil collection. Is that, is that still true or? I don't think that's true anymore. No. Okay. Uh, there, there are, uh, there are a couple of guys out there that are really, uh, put, they put the heat on me and I'm <laughs> glad that they did. And it surpassed me and some of the two guys in big numbers. Uh, and I'm proud of them for doing that, but having the biggest and, and whatever will never ever be cooler than owning the most historically significant anvil collection in the world, which I do. All okay. right. So Got it. now let's get to that. What makes your collection so much more historically significant than the other guys who just have numbers? So I bought Richard Postman's collection of anvils that he used to assemble his book called Anvils in America. Okay. And that book describes every manufacturer, every forging process, every style of anvil. Not every style, because there could be a, a second edition of the book, but mainly London patterned anvils, which is the anvil that is like known if, if you say oh anvil people are going to think of a london patterned anvil more than they do you know a portsmouth or a any a german pattern or double or anything like that so i own that collection he assembled for his book and it's got the 500 and something page book with all of this literature in it and it's very cool to go look at that book and then go oh i own that anvil and i own that anvil so that anvil tells a story 
That anvil tells a story. It has a note on it that's handwritten from the author that tells where he got it, why he got it, when he got it, and all that kind of stuff. So you can come to my plays and enjoy that aspect of it. And it's not a numbers game, right? It's not a numbers game. It's the history. It's the reason I got into this because I freaking love it. And I love the reason why they are what they are. Not I have more than you, right? Absolutely. All animals tell a story. Uh, you know, I always did this behind the scenes. And my wife is the one that created my Instagram page. I told her whenever it was, it's been several years ago now, that social media was a joke. And that no one does social media. And that, like, no one that likes what I like is going to be on the thing <laughs> called social that media. That couldn't be more far from the truth. It It's just a place, it, it's a place for people like you or like whoever to meet up. So yeah, but that was the naivete cool. of me not having a clue about social media or, or the, the, uh, the reach that it actually has. And it's been very fascinating to be able to share these things along the way. And I contribute it back to her. Like I, I have a lot of gratitude for her because there's so many people like you're saying that love this same thing. There's also a lot of haters out there that hate my guts because I have this collection and I give two shits. Like get out of your mother's basement. Like, come on guys. What, what can you even be angry about a, an anvil or a tool collector about? Oh, envy, anvil envy. There was this, like, it, it's a fictitious shortage, right? It's not a, it's not an actual shortage of anvils. It's fictitious because the people that are crying, I can't find an anvil. It's because you're looking inside your house on the computer. Uh, yeah. Right? Sure. Go outside, go talk to five or 10 people today and say, hey, do you know where an anvil is? Or have you ever heard of an anvil? Or do you know where I may be able to get an anvil? And if you really care about getting one, that networking will ultimately lead you to one. And, and that's and that's what you do, right? Like you you have the ability or you just go around and talk to people. I read a story that you just like knock on people's doors. and Totally. Totally. I love doing that. You get I get told no 20 times before I get told yes once. That's awesome. And that's not just with girls. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, I want to dive back into a little bit of the, the historic side of things. You have old pieces. Like you said, they all tell a story is, are there pieces that have like very significant stories of like who owned them, what they were used for, anything of that nature? Sure. I have a lot of that, but what, something that I think is cooler than that is to look at the anvil and kind of figure out how it was used or why it was used. You know, I had a, a conversation not long ago that I'll never forget with uh, Jeff Fader, uh, who's a knife maker. And he was saying that, you know, he, he didn't really like his anvil because it had all these chisel marks on the side of it going down the feet and all these holes from people, you know, punching. And I go, wait a minute, but let's think about that for a minute. You hate the anvil because of the aesthetic reason of it having these marks. I'm sure you guys have seen this before on old anvils. They have like the chisel marks going down. What that represents to me is a person that went out into their forge and made a chisel and they checked its, they checked its hardness by pounding it on the side of their anvil and it made that mark. And there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these marks on this anvil from every day of that person going out in their forging life and making tools for someone else. That anvil tells a story. That's that anvil tool is shit for that reason. Like, think about what that person every day did to create that. 
is undeniable. Well, and, and something that I think a lot of people don't even realize when, the, like, if you if you're not familiar with forging or anything, the anvil is such a multi-tool. It's like the ultimate tool to accomplish any task. And what you're saying is. You know, if you see some, if you see an anvil where the horn is completely worn out, but the rest of it's not, you know that they're they're doing something to to you know shape their steel in a certain way to you know, and they're using the horn only for that. Yeah. So you can kind of so then your brain probably what I'm assuming is your brain goes to like like think you put yourself in their shoes. What am I building with this? Yeah, if I totally. That, right. Totally. <laughs> it goes from really really cool to also like what the fuck? Like why is there torch marks on this anvil? <laughs> Who could be that stupid? Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like it, it, it covers all aspects of it. So to me, like, yes, I have anvils here that have also really cool historical significance because of who owned them or who made what or whatever. But to me, that doesn't matter as much as what the anvil says. Yeah, what I the love anvil that. represents of what it does. You know, Andrew, that goes with, I have a collection of weapons too, of knives that I've collected everywhere. And people are asking what's my favorite ones. I've got some from famous knife makers, the masks, and they're so beautiful that you don't even use them. But my favorite ones are the cheap farmer type blades that I knew were used. The handle is worn, the blades full of chips and everything. It's always been, you know, resharpened over and over. But that, when you pick it up, it really feels alive. Yes. It feels like it's been used. Yes. It's got a history to it. I guess. So having said that, do you, because, because you collect stuff that have history to it. Do the anvils talk to you? Um, yes, but let's go with what you were saying for a second. I was recently given this knife, okay? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a oh, lot of cool. people were like, that knife is a piece of shit. Because the copper goes so close to the blade that it's going to be hard to sharpen at some point. It's The copper's there because it got sharpened so many freaking times. Thank you. Fucking thank you. This knife has been all over the world. The guy that carried it carried it for years and years and years, and he made it. And he gave it to me. And he said the blade used to be substantially bigger, but it got sharp. So is it a piece of shit? Because some desk jockey says that the copper is too close on this sand my blade. No, it's not a piece of shit. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 But but that's one of the things that I was saying. People don't understand that. People don't understand that being worn and used and everything has a certain kind of appeal. And we know totally. it's functional. It doesn't have a soul to it. It's cold if it's not exactly. being used. Just to drive just to drive home your your passion for um for for learning new tools and stuff. There's this one video that you posted recently. I think maybe it might have been a year ago at this point, but I, I watched it where you you brought home this. Um, it was this this some sort of tool that had like a a pedal on it, and you were and it had like a small hammer that hammered really quickly, and you were trying to figure out what it was, and you asked the audience if they knew what it was. Yeah, and your excitement in this video is just unreal. I mean, it's awesome. Cause like, you're like a kid, you know, a kid on Christmas opening up this, you were trying to figure out how it works. You're like, this is the coolest thing ever. And, and I just loved it so much. And I, I'm just wondering like, you know, yeah. Like, how do you, like, how would you describe your passion for this stuff? Like, how would you, cause you're, you're just so passionate about it. I, I'm kind of a weirdo. <laughs> and so I give everything a zipper burn rating. 
And a zipper burn rating can be, you can interpret that however you want. But if it gives me a high zipper burn level, like if it gives me a, a zipper burn level 10, that's like highest fashion ever. Like it really gives me a hard burn. I felt took something move down there. It took me a second. So my passion is given all zipper burn. And, and the, yeah. the level of zipper burn I get for an item that's in front. Oh, that's the first time I've ever heard zipper burn and I love it. So how did you, so was there a moment where you were like, I can take this passion that I have and turn it into a business? Like how did, like how, what was that a moment that, oh yeah, just kind of talk that about was, that. That happened bit. through Instagram, really. Um, I've sold things before, but really my collection at the time, you may, I mean, it was almost embarrassing. Like I think I had 80 power hammers when I first started Instagram. You know that I. So had, it was. Yeah. It wasn't a business to the beginning. It was just you picking up. It was, tools. but you don't have that global reach, right? You know, so you're selling more locally or to word of mouth, and it's a secondary business. So it's like not really. There's nothing pushing it except for word of mouth. But when you put it on a platform that goes global, it's like all right, it opens the doors, right? And I had rebuilt. I don't know a couple hundred power hammers at that time. I love taking something that is a derelict piece of junk and bringing it back to life and modernizing it where people can use it, right? And so that's kind of where that side of this business was created, was through Instagram. Now, are you finding are you finding that, that your customers are more collectors or users? Because sometimes if you've get, got an antique, like you get an old antique piece of furniture, doing any modifications or fixing that piece of furniture will completely degrade the value. Is it the same thing with these tools? Totally. So I... I, I kind of dabble on both sides of the equation. My most favorite thing is to get these tools into people's hands that are going to use them. And my, I always tell people is make sure you send me pictures of whatever you make, because whatever it is, I'm going to see it because that's, that's what's driving this. Like the, throughout history, what has never changed are these two things right here. You can modernize the world, but you have not changed the way that these two things work. Your hands. And I want to see what these people are making with their hands, with the tools that are that I've given them or sold them or whatever it may be. Yeah, that's my favorite line that I tell people about what I love about Forge and Fire is that we're showing people to get literate with their hands again in this world of technology where everything is pressing on the phone or the computer or anything else. What built this country, right? Making things with your hands. Making things with your hands. But, you know, being that you restore tools which make things, do you follow a very certain way of restoring them? I mean, to make sure that it is the way they restore them normally from history, or do you use the modern way just to get them functional again? So I use a, a more modern approach, but not just to get them functional. I want them to work better than they did when they came out of the factory knit, right? Because at that time, they didn't have the, the automation or the things that we have in today's world that can kind of enhance those things, right? So I, I, I bring some of that into the equation. Um, with the power hammer, the simple mechanical power hammer is just putting a really nice electrical motor on it with a nice switch and belts that don't slip. And like just simple things make a huge difference on how that machine operates. Do you collect dead anvils too? You know, I used to. I used to have an anvil garden, but um, there's a thing that I called called feeding the yuppies. And you got to give the yuppies the food they want to eat. And a lot of times they want an anvil to sit in their library or, you know, whatever it may be. 
So my amble garden has depleted over the years, and those were broken ambles, dead ambles, you know, ambles that were not cast right or ambles that were forged improperly or whatever it may be. Those ambles are the ones that go to the yuppies. That's the yuppie food. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> not going to not gonna put it to work. They Correct. just want something to, cool to look at. They, they want the thing called anvil, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a heavy heavy thing to have in your, your yeah. library. <laughs> no, but I, in our in our age, in our time frame, in our, our lifetime, anvil has become a thing, mm -hmm. right? Because when we were kids, anvil was not a thing. Hard work with anvil was not a thing like it is today. Like I see it on advertisement pieces, I see it on billboards, I see it on literature, ephemera, all kinds of things. That's a good point. So do you collect also now anvils, the way we think about it, there's a certain look to it, but we know in different cultures, it's just a railroad track that they create things with. Do you also collect cultural anvils that you know was just made by this local blacksmith of this village of unknown, but he doesn't have the money to have the traditional big anvil. He's got a railroad track and you're going to take that because you know he made stuff. hundred percent. If I can get my hands on that stuff, I always do. Those are the cooler ones. Those are way cooler than, you know, one that you can go buy. That's just normal anvil. So how do you go about doing your picking? I know you said you go knock on doors, but is there like a, a method to the madness or is it literally just driving around knocking on doors? So the best way I can explain it is like this. If you were an electrician and you needed something in your field, you would know who to call. And you would start calling until you found that thing, right? And that's kind of how I go about doing this. You know, I've I've been around this industry now for 20 plus years and so I kind of know who to call or where to go, or I've got enough leads to where that lead leads to another. Like I've never, ever left a place that I was picking and didn't say, hey, do you have friends that have this stuff? Or who do you know in the next town over that has more junk than you do? Or, you know, something that kind of gets them going to where they ultimately, you know, give me a lead to the next play. Is it hard to get like part ways with them when somebody does, uh, I guess, show some interest in purchasing? It... <laughs> Yes, it can be. And a lot of that depends on the person that's buying it, right? Like I, when people come here to buy stuff, I always just say, look around and find the anvil that speaks to you. And when they do that, that allows me to kind of look at their body language and look at them and listen to the story they're saying and kind of figure out what, what is it that you want to, that you're planning to do with this anvil, right? And if they don't have one that speaks to them, maybe I can help guide them in that direction. Like maybe this, and it's not a budgetary thing. It's like you want to get them the right tool for what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. So obviously you're not just collecting anvils. I, I mentioned the the one uh, tool that you, you did a video on. You had no idea what it was. How many tools do you think you have in your possession right now that you have no idea what they are? Oh, lots. <laughs> Does it kill you not knowing what it is? No, or it's like, fun. It's yeah. fun. Because guess what? I get to go, hey, do you have any clue what this is? I'm not a know-it-all. I'm not the hear-all, be-all, see-all. Like, I'm a guy seeking knowledge, mm -hmm. right? And if I find something that's wanky, cool as shit, like, what is this? Yeah, I'll buy this. And and you've accumulated upwards of 100,000 followers as subscribers on Instagram. So you've got a massive book of people to go ask and, and fulfill that, that need for information. It's pretty awesome. What I think is cool about that is most of those people are as intrigued about finding the answer as I am. 
I mean, I had to read through all the comments on that one video just to figure out just I had to figure out what that was myself. And uh, I, I forget what it was. I think it was like some sort of like copper peening machine or something. That was the kind um, of the census. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, was, it, was, it was some of it was wood. Some of it was metal. So I'm like, it was just really such a cool piece. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that uh, I used to travel uh, to different forges uh, for filming Forge and Fire. And uh, one of the coolest things I got to see firsthand are, are the different jigs people make. I mean, that's the, I, I have to imagine that's sort of what, what you're, what a lot of these mystery tools are, are just jigs for something, right? Some of them are like, yeah, like, look at this. Hold on. <laughs> this is going to be awesome. Nobody has ever been able to tell me what this thing is. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> I call them the hoodises. <laughs> the hoodises. The hood. Yeah, it's the hood. So just to describe what this is, it's like it's is it steel? It's a steel. Okay, this thing is like two and a half, three feet long. It's a f piece of flat bar, and on either end it has two rivets that hold on a rectangular piece that has a divider in it. And in between the divider are two ball bearings. And the ball bearings protrude slightly past the, the girth, if you will, of the square tubing for this uh, rectangular piece. So tell me what that is. We got to send Ben Abbott over to your house. I'm sure he would have hey, fun he, with uh, I don't think he'd ever trying leave. to figure out what these are. Yeah. <laughs> all, man. There's so much stuff around here that like one-off stuff that, you, you know, some things that I find very fascinating are the, are the people that are in the jewelry world. You know that like that are around rose engines and things of that nature that are very intricate machines, and the machines that they made to make something based off of what they were making in the jewelry world. Okay, Andrew, I've got I've got to ask you this. So, um, in, in blade making, in in my my search for for uh, weapons when I was in in traveling to do my martial arts, um, different cultures that have blades are very superstitious. Um, certain blades have souls to them or spirits living in them. Being that you collect places, you know, you collect these things from like who knows in, in a garage or in other places. Do you feel a certain energy with these anvils? Do you feel like the story behind it? Because that's, uh, you know, it's one of the things why when I go antiquing or anything else, I can feel it. I, I, I don't know what it is, but there's a certain feel for things that, that talk, like you said, what speaks to you? Do you? feel that way yeah and doug i would say that you're probably and i don't know you from eve but uh i would say that you're a man of passion and a man of desire and a man that loves to love and love people and love things and stories and i think that has a lot to do with it i think a lot of people are not in tune to passion and that doesn't mean my passion or your passion it may mean that person's passion it may mean dan's passion or grady's passion but being able to pick up on that is a, is a huge aspect into being able to live the history of the item onward, right? So I, I, I do feel those feelings, and those feelings are amazing, totally amazing. And all of the things that I have the biggest feelings about stay right here underneath my roof. Here we go. <laughs> That's, I, well, I, I thought Doug was about to ask if, you, if, if your shop is haunted. Oh, it, it very well could be. I have no clue. <laughs> you know, to me, it's more the mirror, right? You see, Grady, it's not just the voices in my head. It's a feeling. No, it's I don't know, buddy. Let's, let's consult a psychiatrist. If my shop is haunted, it could be. I have Trixie, who is a blow-up doll. that that is. Um, uh, she's attached to a, uh, a Camelback drill press via neodymium magnets, and she watches over all the tools. All right. Beautiful. So if you fuck with my tools, you've got a, the wrath of Trixie to deal with, not me. <laughs> 
<laughs> you gotta you gotta fuck with Trixie the blow up doll. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. See what I mean? So how <laughs> we, classic you, too. you say you've got you got tons of tools out there that you don't actually know what they are. You're you're still searching for the the answer Not there. Tons, but there's several. How many anvils and and power tools and such do you have in your collection right now, for sale or otherwise? Oh, thousands and thousands. I've got twenty thousand square foot of building and on two acres, and it's like uh, hard to drive around and walk around. That's insane. I've got you know fifteen hundred anvils here and couple thousand vices and antique tools and shit everywhere dude <laughs> where do you find time to do the the real estate no i have to get it's very hard i'm because i'm very add it's like can you imagine you, you I, I said that this is my golf course well if you own your own golf course that means you can play whenever you want right mm. so it you could theoretically so if you're there at your golf course every day it's a huge distraction. So sometimes I have to just be like, all right, I can't, I just need to go in the office and sit down and, <laughs> you know, oh, I'm sure. Got a job to do. Yeah. So for our listeners who want to follow their path, like you did, um, what would you say are the few things that really got you to do it? Because, you know, I don't know. I, I know a person who likes to collect a lot of decapitated heads from like, you know, from a, do you know that person? Dummies. Who's that person? Yeah. <laughs> right there it's one of them um but you know if, oh, he, you? If, if i wanted to sell these things how do you go about selling that to people you know what got you to do this as a business so i think what i would say is understand fundamentals understand the fundamentals of anything that you want to do anything that you desire to do in life and that means that you have to have a good understanding of what that thing is right and the fundamentals are like if you want to be an NFL quarterback, you are not born an NFL quarterback. You must learn the game. You must learn the, the procedures and the techniques and the plays and all those things. And in studying that, you're going to become better at it, right? You may be born with parents that are very athletic and all that, but that doesn't mean you're born an NFL player. So the fundamentals of life, to me, are so crucial. Be mad at yourself for sucking off the bat and use that as a motivation to become better at it. If that's truly what you want to do, if not change paths, but don't be unhappy, be at peace with what you're wanting to do. Be good at the fundamentals and then the, the expertise side of it will grow. And this is a common thread through a lot of our conversations that we have with people uh, that you're not born with this ability to just be successful in this field. You know, it takes work. It takes, uh, like you said, studying and uh, dedication, really. Yeah. Just dedicate yourself to it. That, that's like why I say, if you guys said, hey, go make a knife, tell me that. And I have all the shit to do it. Everything. I have more shit than everybody to do it. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that my knife would be any good because I have not studied knife making like you guys have. I do not understand the fundamentals of knife making like you guys have. But if you want to sit around and talk about the tools that are used to make those knives, well, then we can have, you know, that conversation. That's where I excel. That's my passion. That's what I love. I love getting these tools to people who then can grow their passion. So uh, what, are, what are your um, what are your aspirations with this with this, uh, you know, uh, your your warehouse of tools? Where, where do you see it in the future? So, Dan, I, I love people and I love people that are like-minded. I love people that have an interest or show a desire. And so where I see this going is just having people come and enjoy it and be a part of it. 
And like, yeah, I own these things, but you can use anything you want. You can pick up anything you want. You can play with anything you want. You can learn anything you want under my roof. I could care less. I want you to do that. So I just want to continue to grow this thing that is actually a dying industry. It's the artists, uh, people are driving this thing now, right? So I say it's dying. It's dying from the aspect of it being, I need a hinge for my door, and growing into this thing, I'm using the same tools to make, look, check this out, you know, and they pull out this killer piece and you're like, holy shit, I've never even seen anything like that. Oh, for sure. So do you think you're going to turn your collection into some some sort of a museum? You know, it's kind of set up that way already a little bit. Um, it evolves. <laughs> and usually museums have like pieces, right? But I still, I have this addiction with this stuff. So that like... There's always more coming, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> to repeat customers. I think, uh, you know, one thing about your story that uh, that I've, t I've taken away or I've taken away from this this conversation is that you seem to be the kind of person who's just uh, you're, you're really just your own person. You want to do your own thing. Like the fact that you went to culinary school without even an aspiration of becoming a chef, you know, like that's. That's a perfect example of where, like, how you how you live today, as far as like, you know, you just collect shit because you want to, and you're passionate about it, and you're and you want to share this passion. So I, I just think that, like, you know, it's important for people to to be there to be themselves, right? Totally. To, totally. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest takeaway from in my from my point of view. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I I feel like that, you know, subconsciously is is something I strive for. I wanted to go to culinary school because I love to cook and I love to entertain. And why not learn the fundamentals, the techniques of cooking properly? And I put in the work to be able to do that. And the beauty of this is that that same discipline applies to everything. I'm sure the same way you cook and that, that like you say, fundamentals become a template, a template for cooking, a template for collecting things, a template for, you know, working tools. It all becomes that way because the discipline is there to follow the same steps. Mm -hmm. Now, outside of tools, do you collect anything else or is it you're a blacksmith tool collector or do you have like spoons like my grandma too? No, I don't, no, I don't have spoons or anything. Mainly foraging equipment. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I have an obsession with military trucks. So there's always military trucks floating around here. And I love, I am a real aggressive person when it comes to having fun. So like <laughs> I'll take the trucks to their limits and beyond. Yeah. What kind of what kind of truck you got like old uh the old Jeeps, the old Willys and and five tons or what? The these are more modern. Like I have an M eleven sixty one Growler, which is the current uh Marine Corps special forces vehicle that's mm -hmm. uh, designed to fly in the V twenty two Osprey helicopter and it's super fancy. It has rear wheel steering, front steering, the suspension lifts up and down with airbags. It's fucking fun as shit. And I just beat the hell out of this thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> take it to its absolute limit. I like to be safe and calculated about what I do, but I definitely go to the extreme. It's a way to do it. All right. Well, Andrew, I think we're, we're about out of time here. We all want to say thank you for coming out, explaining your yes, passion to us and sharing it with everybody who's listening, man. Cool. I didn't realize it went by that fast. It seemed like we're talking five minutes. <laughs> it was a very fast one. Yeah. If I ever decide to start slinging spoons, I'll give you a call. 
And uh, don't forget to send me uh, Lucy's uh, email. I, I got some questions for her watching over those anvils and what she sees. Lucy? Oh, Trixie. <laughs> Lexi. Trixie. Oh, Trixie. 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 She probably goes by Lucy like in a later hour of the night. <laughs> exactly, in a different time. Exactly. Yeah. I know her as Lucy. You, you know guys. Page left off the Camelback <laughs> Drill is Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. For our listeners, uh, Andrew, where can they where can they check out your information? Where can they see your collection in person or in in the uh, the cyberspace? Come see me in Dallas, Texas. I'm in Dallas, Texas. You can look me up. It's Blacksmith Tools Supply Company, and on uh, Instagram, Blacksmith Tools, or it's at Blacksmith Tools. All right, very simple. Thank well, you, it's been very a much, pleasure, Andrew. man. Likewise, you guys have a Later. wonderful yeah. rest of your day. Thanks, Andrew. I know of a lot of people who just collect stuff, but nobody who's got the, the passion to dive so deep into the technical side of things and then turn it into a business like he did. You know, like my grandma's got, like I've literally got a ton of, uh, had a ton of spoons and such. I don't think she'd ever consider turning into a business. You, you keep bringing up spoons. Nobody wants your spoons, Grady. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, come on. <laughs> So you know, one of the things I love about what Andrew's all about is that he sees the importance of what really built this country. You know, working with your hands and finding the tools to make them. But not only that, the history behind it. A lot of times we really don't pay attention to the different tools that people have created. Mankind has created to make something. We just look at the end product and not realize that the tools is what got them there too, aside from the skills. And also to find things to say, hey, you know, that's not a back scratcher. That's an actual tool for this thing. You know, to be able to have that and revive it and educate us. Because a lot of times we, we use things for that. Doug, take that out of your mouth. It's not for that. Oh, okay. It's, oh, it's a tool. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, I want to chew everything. <laughs> and sometimes no, it's actually just a back scratcher. Oh, uh, yeah. Anything's a back scratcher if you try hard enough. All right, listeners. As you know, we've got the holidays upon us. And because of that, we're going to be taking a little bit of time off. But you can always get our old content up at Forging the Path, wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be ramping things back up mid-January. So for our listeners, if you have any suggestions for future guests, if you think that yourself would be a good candidate to be a guest on the show, or if you want to sponsor our show, you can all contact us via email at forgingthepathpodcast at gmail.com. Happy holidays to everyone. <laughs> <laughs>